Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community, and policy makers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week on Factum Agri, I'm catching up with Mark Tapley from Peel Forest Estate to hear how their deer operation is going and to get a better understanding of their South Canterbury farming business. Mark joins me now. Hello, Mark. Thank you for joining me for a yarn today. Yeah, no worries, Gus. Can you tell me about Peel Forest Estate and your role within the business? Um, well, Peel Forest Estate, we're a, um, a large stud deer farm. Uh, been in operation for around 35 years now. Um, we're actually effectively three studs in one. We're um, doing the, the venison thing uh, for maternal and terminals. Mm. And also velvet and trophies so you know we sell a lot of live live animals every year for sized eggs for um for clients um, around new zealand and then also do a lot of export genetics or semen and embryos overseas mm. um, and yeah so my role i'm the managing director here now but I, that's over sort of two farms we've got uh this property here at Peel forest which is um 2,800 odd hectares mm. um, and then we've got a breeding sort of a breeding farm over at Mount Summers as well um, so yeah Peel Forest is around 23,000 stock units and Lincoln Hills is 10,000 stock units so um, predominantly running deer but we've got a reasonable cattle Angus cattle herd as well um, they just complement the deer very well with pasture management and it gives us some diversity in what we do too so yeah, totally. So how many deer on the property and what is the makeup between the stud animals and the commercial herd? Yeah, right. So um, we've got a, just over 11,000 deer. Um, 9,000 of those are here at Peel Forest and the mm. rest are at Lincoln Hills. Um, of the breeding hinds, um, about 70% of those are stud and uh, 30%, yeah, 30% commercial venison mm. herd. Mm. Um, it really sort of, you know, everything in our commercial herd is coming out of capital stock from the stud line. So um, if they're not making the grade in the, in the stud, then they'll just be, you know, transferred over to the to the commercial herd. Yeah. Uh, but you know, everything everything gets DNA when when born, so we know exactly the history and, and genetic makeup of every single animal on the farm. Um, so it gives us pretty good platform to work off um, for the stud side of things and all the all the traits and EBVs and everything that we measure. Yeah. Um, for the stud, is there more of a focus on breeding for velvet or venison or have genetics improved so much that essentially you can get top qualities in a stag for both? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Gus. Um, you know, like as I, as I said earlier, we, we are running a you know, a venison stud, a velvet stud, and a trophy stud. Um, so velvet obviously is bred specifically for velvet, um, but the, the venison side of things, particularly the maternals, we call them foresters, um, mm. they carry all the meat traits that we're looking for as far as, um, you know, eye muscle growth rates, um, color, and, all, you know, all, all the meat traits that, you know, our clients are looking for, but we have been putting... Um, substantial velvet genetics into into that line as well. Yeah. So so that line in particular is is really um, 
becoming a bit of a, a multi-use type stag. Okay. Uh, you know, the reason we put velvet into into that line, into the forest or the meat line there is because those breeding hinds then carry some velvet type traits or good traits, genetic traits within them. Mm. So when progeny are killed, you know, you're cutting a lot more spike, which, you know, that, that um, pays handsomely when you're, um, you know, you're cutting, you know, one and a half kilos of spiker off off before he even goes to the works, you know, convert that to, to meet schedule price, it's adding sort of another dollar fifty. So mm. it, that's been um, really uh, important for that line. But yeah, um, every you know, I'd have to say everything is quite genetically different. Trophy um, is bred for you know um, inch of antler and scoring ability. And saying that we try and put heavy beamed, we try and always use heavy beam size because. The trophy stags, you know, they're not grown out until they're eight years old. So in the meantime, they're getting velveted every year. Yeah. So we need, you know, they're making making a lot more money um, cutting better velvet uh, until they're turned out as a trophy stag. Yeah. Um, and how's that trophy market going now? Obviously, pre-COVID uh, and when tourism was a thing here in New Zealand, we're running it, you know, tourism at full potential. The trophy market was solid. What's happened hmm. to, to that side of the business now? Obviously, uh, from a breeder's perspective, but also for the commercial trophy guys, are they all surviving up there? And have you been able to pivot away from that, or are you folding those animals back into the velveting herd? Well, the trophy thing, I guess, to start with would be, um, as an industry, I think, as from a breeding perspective, uh, everybody's um, kept their foot on the throttle, um, right. and that's reflected in the way you can see the. The, the live animal sales and genetics, you know, in the last couple of years has still been going very strong. So everybody yep. still seems to be breeding for it because it's a it's a long term game, and we know that you know COVID's going to come and go. Yep. Uh, and yes, yeah, so in that side of things, it, it's it's remained strong, and we haven't we haven't um, eased, eased off on on our breeding side of, yep. of, of trophy thing at all. But uh, in saying that, you know, um, it's been very tough. Uh, not having that um, part of the revenue stream, um, mm. which is, you know, it's quite a big part of, of what we do. And um, mm. instead of that stag being able to be turned out and, and um, harvested for the trophy market, he's just getting velveted and sent to the works. So mm. uh, it's taken a bit of a hit, but not, you know, it's, it's not crushing because you can still get your, your velvet and, and meat from them. Yeah, of course. Um, and mm. and the, it's very positive um, talking to all the, the clients and the, and, the, and the outfitters out there. They've got a backlog of um, clients wanting to get in here as soon yep. as the borders open, which has just happened. And forward mm. orders, bookings are, are looking very strong. So um, That's really cool to hear. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but it has been tough, and especially for those... Um, Outfitters that have been solely relying on it, it's um, certainly probably um, dropped a few of the, the smaller players off. And yep. um, we'll just wait and see what happens there moving forward. Yeah, you're right. It's the same in any industry. When something like this happens, the smaller guys have the potential to fall away and that business gets consumed by the players that can withstand a storm like this. Mm. Um, Peel Forest bloodlines, where did they originally come from? Um, so, so the owner, Graham Carr, is you know, my stepfather. He, um, he is an Englishman and he came out to New Zealand, you know, 35 odd years ago. And he, 
people, some sort of European genetics with them from Yugoslavia and, and around Europe and sort of built built off that. Um, mm. But that was sort of more your, your Eastern type stuff for the trophy thing. And then um, he bought the Fuzilin herd, which was a pure English herd. Um, and that really was a game changer for the New Zealand trophy industry, very multi-pointed and high scoring type genetics. Mm. Now, now fast forward to now, we're predominantly English. We've got very little Eastern bloodlines in, in our herd. We, right. we really we love the English deer. They're um, just a, a far better animal to farm. They're, you know, I could go on about this for a long time, but you know, they're hardier. They've got better temperament, yep. better constitution, and um, yeah, they, they just fit the bill for what we're doing here. Sure, um, sure. So, in saying that, so we've, we had the first we heard was English. We've gone and bought um, genetics from overseas, as you know, as far as semen is concerned, and then we'll embryo transplant to build numbers that way. Um, we've bought the Windermere stud up in the North Island, which was a velvet stud, um, yep. one, of the best, one of the better velvet studs around, uh, Pampas Heights. So, that they're both purely in, pure English studs. So, mm. um, we'd have the largest genetic pool of English. Um, deer in the world now, I'd say, and um, and it works. It works very well for for our for our venison lines, for our um, velvet lines, and obviously some of that multi-pointed stuff for the trophy thing. So yeah. Mm. Well, it sounds like things are going pretty well for you guys there. Now, of course, one thing that didn't go too well through COVID, particularly for the commercial deer farmers, venison took a hammering, didn't it? Velvet. Yes, Velvet remained positive uh, and strong, which was really, really cool. And I see that new markets for venison are being developed in the USA. You know, there's been some great work done by DINs there. When do you think venison will reach that 11 to $11.50 per kilogram again, or will it? Well, firstly, I think, yeah, look, we, we took a, a massive hammering on price for venison. Um, but, you know, credit to to all the processes and, you know, like Silver Ferns and Alliance and stuff, because they... They have been just targeting the low dangling fruit markets, being you know, being the sort of the European restaurant markets and things like that. So they really had to um, think outside the square and start moving this product uh, through new markets. And um, they did a great job of doing that with the you know the US and now China's China's mm. starting to make a lot of tonnage. Mm. Um, so I believe coming out of COVID, we're now in a uh, better position than we were pre-COVID because we've opened up more markets and um, it's going to give us a bit more stability in price. Mm. Uh, will it reach $11 or $11.50? It could do, but I personally don't want to see that happen because I think um, you start getting uh, around that sort of number, you're going to you're going to price your side, price yourselves out of the market. Yep. Uh, I'm just going to make sure that, that that venison will stay on the menus and and be affordable for people, you know, buying through supermarkets and whatnot. So um, the, the golden number for, for me is really just $10. And if we can keep it at that and sustain that price, then um, I think everybody, everyone will be happy. So, yeah, we're yep. just going to be careful to, not to get that. It's a supply and demand thing. So um, the farmers have to keep producing it. And we just need to make sure that... Um, we don't, yeah, we don't price ourselves out of the market. Price stability is really what the deer industry needs, isn't it? Historically, it's been quite volatile at certain times. So for farmers to have some certainty around a, a price range would be quite welcomed, I suspect. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for a lot of a lot of farming entities in New Zealand, they're running, you know, different stock classes of, you know, sheep, beef and deer, you know, and the deer are up on the high country, you know, and they're sort of the third class, stock class for, you know, for their operation. And when the price drops, that's the first thing that's going to go. Mm. Uh, and that's we've got to be we've got to be very mindful that a lot of hinds aren't getting killed um, because then there'll be a lack of supply, and then obviously we're not going to be able to meet the demands that you know all the hard work that the process has been putting into to move our products. So yeah, and, and you touched on other classes of livestock. Peel Forest Estate is part of a bigger farming business. Is that correct? You reference beef earlier, and I believe dairy plays a component in the overall business. Is that right? Uh, Yes, sort of. So the the owner Graham Carr, he's got a, a massive interest in, in dairy. Um, he's got roughly five thousand cows. Um, but Peel Forest Estate itself is, you know, sort of standing on its own two feet. And, yep. and you know, I'm personally not involved in any of that side of the business. Okay. Uh, yep. When it comes to dairy and things, so yeah. Um, but as far as diversity within Peel Forest Estate Company. Um, yeah, I touched on cattle. That's a big part of yep. what we do. Um, and oh, I mean, we've got probably eight, well, eight hundred odd Angus to the bull now. So it's yeah, it's, right, uh, do you? Um, but within the dairy industry as well, having venison, velvet, and trophy, you got three quite different markets. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, so when one's up, one's down, and you know you can kind of lean on the other. I mean, for example, velvet was incredible this year we had a, we had a, a very very good season um which offsets the the poor venison price so um mm. so it's, they're a great animal to farm because they're so diverse yeah hey um do things like sustainability come into your operations on a daily basis yeah absolutely i mean we're very um focused on environmental aspects on our farm um we look we, we've we're very transparent and trying to sort of lead from the front in the industry. So we've got to um, we've got to make sure that we're we're leading the charge on the environmental footprint and, and how we and our farming practices. Mm. Um, and that's reflecting in, in our audits with um, environmental audits. You know, Lincoln Hills and Peel Forest are getting A's. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we're, we're constantly working on improving. Um, and, and making sure that we are sustainable. The, the biggest challenge for us and any other farmer is, is the wintering mm. and, and trying to get out of the mud. So, um, yeah. you know, this winter coming, we've actually done some pretty drastic changes to how, how we winter. Um, it's going to be more expensive, but it's certainly um, going to be the way of the future. So we're just trying to stay ahead of the game there a bit. So you're prepared to increase some input costs in order to improve environmental outcomes? Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's what we're doing, and um, I, I don't see, I don't see down the track that we'll be even be able to strip graze on on crops, you know, mm. anyway. So um, we're, we're working quite hard on on other ways to to winter our animals, and that, and that involves a lot more cart and carry, right? Um, burning diesel and lifting fodder beat, and you know, yeah, the, you know, those tractors will be running red hot this winter. It's going to be pretty interesting to see. Um, how it all works out. Yeah. Have you had a look at the Primary Sector Action Partnership or Hiwaki Ekanoa and the proposed alternatives to farming moving into the ETS? Yeah, I have. Um, I've, I've 
been watching it quite closely. Um, and I've got yeah, quite a few opinions on it, really. But um, one thing's for sure, we don't want to get involved in the ETS scam. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think these guys are doing a good job. But um, and, and we, as, as an industry, we have to be seen to be doing something. Um, but, you know, my, my comments are really, you know, as, as you're well aware, New Zealand are the most efficient farmers in the world. Mm. Uh, we are doing it better than anyone else. And um, with this, with the pretty tough legislation that's going to be, you know, coming down on us, um, it's going to get harder and harder for us to farm. And um, one of the, I, I do see that New Zealand is going to be forced, you know, other people argue it, but I think we're incentiv they're incentivizing us to um, decrease production, incentivizing us to, to grow more forestry, um, mm. Yeah, and one way or another, we are gonna we are gonna be not be able to supply as as much as we have been able to. Mm. And the catch twenty two of that is, you know, the world is um, population is growing, feed, food demand is going up, and we supply I don't know what the stats are, but a huge amount of food to the world. And mm. all that's going to happen is um, our competitors who don't have the tough legislation slammed on them. Are just simply going to pick up that um, demand that we're we're, get, we're giving away to them. So mm. and less efficient farmers. So there's going to be uh, more more carbon. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Which, the world, you know, the world is this world doesn't have borders. Well, the, the environment doesn't have borders. So mm, correct. It, it is a pretty um, pretty hard pill to swallow. But um, yeah. In the same token, we. Um, we do need to be seen to be doing something. So I think Hewaka Ikanoa um, options are um, uh, definitely good. There's a bit of work to be done on them, but mm. um, um, yeah, I'm not sure which option I'd go for, the farm levy one or the processor level, level one. Um, yeah, I think um, the alternatives being fleshed out of work at the moment, um, they will end up being far superior to going to the ETS, that is for sure. Sequestration of, of carbon, I mean, you know, there's a huge amount of trees on every, you know, most properties around the, uh, the country and, and, you know, methane as well. It's a short-lived gas and um, ETS doesn't um, take that into account either. So um, it's going to get very difficult to farm under that ETS scheme and, and, and by far it would, it would be forcing people to de-stock and plant trees. Yeah, quite agree. Hey, look, um, you're a busy man. I'll let you get on. I've enjoyed catching up with you today, Mark. Uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, no, thanks, Gus. Graham Carr has built himself quite the farming business, I have to say. And it's cool to see Mark taking on the responsibility of running Peel Forest Estate, and particularly leading the dare business into the future, not only with their own farming business, but the industry as a whole. Deer are such a versatile animal. They have the ability to produce multiple revenue streams, which can reduce risk in times of pressure like we have seen through COVID-19. And those that tune into me know I'm all about diversity and creating different revenue streams within a farming business. Peel Forest are taking their environmental responsibility seriously and are actively exploring ways to improve practices, especially around winter grazing and keeping animals out of the mud. We touched on Hiwaki Ikanoa's alternatives to the ETS 
And although Mark wouldn't say which of the two alternatives he preferred, he did acknowledge something needs to happen. So their proactive approach should be applauded. My view from the outset on the two options has not changed, which is the farm level levy is the better of the two. Not all farms and farmers are born equal. A farm level levy incentivizes farmers and rewards them for the good work they do on their properties. Sure, the levy at the processor might be easier to administer, but I believe it won't have the same positive impact to environmental outcomes that a farm level levy will achieve. Food for thought. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.